I knew to expect weird things in this movie, but if I had known Fuckbox was just the tip of the iceberg, I don't I don't know that I ever would have been prepared to watch this movie. Yeah, it's I mean, it's a terrifying prospect to raise a child in any environment, let alone, you know, one that's actively trying to kill you. Just murder you at all times. Yeah, it's uh whew. Claustrophobic but, uh, is uh, our pet is the worst dad ever because you know you use the baby monitor for a lot of things while you're busy doing other stuff while the kids doing whatever but you don't go into space with a baby monitor. Oh God! Hey, innovative. So, so stressful. It, it, very so stressful. very upsetting. Watch. Is it possible though that the spaceship was just the Earth we lived on? Along the way, the along whole time. The whole you know, way, yeah, yeah. I don't know. yeah you, you get the joke. Uh, well, he was executed, and that was his, um, his, um, you know. Um, Ooh, a Jacob's Ladder Jacob's situation ladder thing, right? <laughs> the real, the real life sentence was raising the baby. Was it the Oxbow incident? The Oxbow the occur- occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge. Yeah. There it goes. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, the one, the <laughs> one smart <laughs> thing I know. <laughs> the one smart thing I know got adapted into a Twilight Zone episode. Yeah, and Palm also, or winning Twilight episode, yeah. and also source code, kind of. Mm-hmm. I'd make the argument. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Genre Cast. We gather around a table and we discuss the films you'll never discuss in a film studies course, maybe. Yeah, we're, we're kind of stretching that this week. We'll talk about it. More on that anon, but I'm still Dustin. Uh, I'm still Dalton. I'm still Arthur. And uh, we're here to talk about those movies, and uh, just to make sure that you know what's happening, this is not a review show, it is an analysis show, and this is a pretty brand spanking new movie, mm-hmm. uh, especially for us. And, and it's also the kind of movie with no plots, so we're just going to have to talk about all the things that happened. Yeah, it. so spoiling is not even the thing. You could know everything, and the experience is what it is. It'll but, actually probably help you enjoy the movie on your first pass a little so, bit more. So ordinarily, I'd say, you know, synopsis is without spoilers, review is very spoiler light, uh, expanding the Syllabus is more spoiler full, blah, and blah, 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 we're blah. uber yeah. spoilery in analysis. But I, I, I don't know that I can say that it, we're going to spoil it, and I don't know when and how badly when that's going to happen. So who can be sure of anything? Yeah, um, there... I had to learn the word spaghettification because of this movie. Oh, spaghettification! Yeah, so we, all bets are off. Fascinating <laughs> process. It, it's it's very very good for a lean figure. Oh, I'll read about it. Uh, here in a moment. Yeah, it's um, it's unfortunate and very sad. Um, and then she goes on to be in a dance school, so you know, I mean, it worked out. I mean, her dancing <laughs> abilities were improved from spaghettification. Uh, you've got uh, we've got a real uh, Tommy Westfall situation well, here, where be, all movies are in the same universe. You got to be limber like a noodle to dance. <laughs> Is this a Cloverfield movie yeah. or an MCU movie? Uh, all movies are both, actually. So, uh, well, anyway, there you go, dear listener. We're having a big, fun, silly time with this movie, High Life, uh, directed by the great Claire Denis. Uh, we're very, very excited to be talking about it. But let's go ahead and hear a synopsis. Um, Arthur, did you write a synopsis? I'm gonna do my, I did my best, guys. Okay. Uh, synop- I'm, I'm ready for it. This I... seems unsynopsizable. Yeah, it, you know what? We did our best. Claire Denis' surreal space opera unfolds in a series of nonlinear moments. Following the journey of Monty and the infant Willow, High Life is set in the not-so-distant future in a world where criminals are sent into space on never-ending missions. Monty continues to flash back to the events that led him to the present point in time raising Willow. Monty murdered his friend as a child and received a life sentence. He serves out his sentence alongside a crew of prisoners of varying degrees of nice and nasty. The doctor aboard the spacecraft attempts to create a child through insemination, Dr. Dibbs forbids sexual interactions, but encourages and takes great advantage of a masturbation device contained within the ship. After things escalate between the prisoners, Dibbs begins dosing them with heavier sedatives and eventually rapes Monty while he is unconscious and uses his semen to impregnate another prisoner. That's a thing that happens. The two prisoners who wanted nothing to do with the stupid baby experiment. More prisoners die and Dibbs is fatally injured. She informs Monty that the child is his. 
Jump cut to like 14 years later, and Willow is growing frustrated on board the isolated ship. Their craft soon encounters another prisoner ship, which features a smaller spacecraft. Monty and Willow commandeer the craft and head out into space looking for a place to call home. That was a good synopsis, Arthur. Uh, yeah, that, that, yeah. You, uh, you untangled this quite efficiently. Yeah, so very, very good. I'm quite impressed. So let's go ahead and hear, um, thumbs up, thumbs down reaction reviews. Now, I'm gonna go to you first, Arthur, because, um, you had this available on your voodoo, so I'm assuming you were the one who saw this movie beforehand, because I had not seen it. I have never watched it. I waited. You Ooh. waited. I oh. bought it, and then was like, hey, we should do this on the show. Smart man. Yeah, because so I thought you it would be a fun trip. monk-like in your abstinence as well. I'm glad to hear that. And uh, let's go ahead and hear what you think in uh, reaction to your experience of High Life. Uh, I like a lot of what Denny is doing here. I, I, I like this aesthetic, kind of this retro throwback. I like uh, that she's utilizing sets that look like sets. Uh, and these doors have number pads that are very manual and everything feels like it could happen tomorrow. Uh, but hopefully never uh, happens. Um Man, the way this is shot, the uh, the sequence inside the chamber with uh, Juliet Binoche? No. Yes. Yes. Whew. Uh, French actresses. Uh, there's like four uh, that make it in the mainstream. Um, but yeah, when she's in that chamber, the way it's shot, that uh, her her white skin contrasted against that pure black. In the score. And yeah, yeah, it just, it, I mean, it's been weird since And this is Street. a machine auto-erotica scene, dear listener, in yeah. case you don't know. It's just, like, the movie has already kind of established, you're, you're in for a ride at this point, yeah. but it goes to full, like, hypnotic uh, cuckoo mm. pants levels. You don't expect that till the third act in a mo- in movie sometimes. We're right at the top of the movie. Yeah, uh, but the way it's shot, it feels very much like a, a romantic art piece. I mean, it, I, I thought a lot about The Great Red Dragon itself and uh, William Blake. Yeah. Uh, and just the way those the, the lighting, the shadows, I think it's a gorgeous sequence. And and throughout the, the sequence, the spaghettification sequence as well, is just so well done. Uh, the not-so-special special effects, like the way everything, it feels like it was shot for Star Trek, the original series. Yeah. It, it's like, they were like, we could just do this. Uh, and, and it feels like it. And I, I really appreciate that. I love the opening sequence between Arpat and Willow um, because it doesn't feel scripted. It feels so natural. Uh, He's uh, friends with the parents of that baby in real life. Yeah. Well, babies cool. don't take lines very well either. Well, this, that's that. the thing. He couldn't bond with the babies. They had hired twins to do this, and he, the babies didn't like him. They hated him. So and they had to get any baby. They Those get, divas. They got his friends. Those his little, friend's baby. Those diva babies. Those his, prima friend, donnas. his friend's baby already liked him, so it worked out. Uh, but that whole sequence is just its really sweet and beautiful and mm. really endearing and sets up uh, Pattinson's character so well. And he does a great job. I mean, talk about a guy who's just completely reinvented himself and is doing some of the most interesting acting choices of the last decade or two. Uh, I, I appreciate all of that. And, and so there are sequences throughout that I greatly uh, admire. Uh, but overall, I just didn't connect with this one at all. I, I just felt kind of... Really? Yeah, I don't, I don't know what it was. I think I was wanting it to be weirder mm, and okay. crazier and a little more surreal. I, I feel like there was too much plot. Interesting. Okay. And uh, I think when it kind of falls into those flashbacks of the whole crew on the on the or the uh, crew but the prisoners crew I crew don't know. yeah i would say crew uh, on been, the ship they've they, been trained to run this thing i guess yeah or forced to learn anyway um when it falls into that i feel like it's a little too caught up in that and i would like a little more jumping around a little more uh non-linear craziness happening um but uh what i do appreciate though is the way they navigate those flashbacks because i never felt lost 
Yeah. I felt like it was coherent no matter where they jumped or when they jumped. I think uh, Denis and her editing team uh, were capable of, of really keeping it uh, in focus in such a way that it's easy to follow. So I, I, I appreciate it. I think it's really well made. Um, and it's one of those movies that I don't love. I appreciate. I can admire the good about it. But it just didn't connect with me is really, I think, what it comes down to. Fair enough, fair enough. Well, what do you think, Dalton, in reaction? Ugh, devastated, both by the film and Arthur's take. Uh, <laughs> I get it, though. I, sparks fly. I, no, I totally get it. Um, the thing for me, Arthur, and I, I, I totally hear you uh, on that sequence because that was kind of the sequence I most checked out of the movie as well. But there was something about the way that Denise, and apparently this kind of elliptical storytelling is a, is a big thing of hers. Uh, this is my first Denis film. Uh, I, I've heard, uh, I think it was Matt Zollerside said that this was like not a great one to jump in on. Disagree. I was, uh, I want to go watch more Denis movies now, but anyway, Same. I know that yep. elliptical editing is kind of a, a hallmark of hers and that kind of kept drawing me back into that middle section where I, anytime I almost checked out the fact that there were these just kind of like, all right, here's a series of images and shots and now here's more plot. And that, that kind of, hypnotic feel helped me key into that that middle section but but i hear you uh spaghettification and astrophysics spaghettification <laughs> sometimes referred to as the noodle effect is the vertical stretching and horizontal compression of objects into long thin shapes rather like spaghetti and a very strong non-homogeneous gravitational field it is caused by extreme tidal forces the most extreme cases near black holes in the most extreme places near black holes, the stretching is so powerful that no object can withstand it. You get turned into uh, person noodles. I, I thought it was uh, in referring to the fact that when her head exploded, it looked like the uh, spacesuit filled with marinara. I mean, <laughs> yes, that oh too. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah, the, the thing that light does at a black hole with the stretching and the cool, like, oh, interstellar is so beautiful. Yeah, it does that to your body when you get near it. Yeah. Uh, and that was a moment where I knew that I was never going to forget this film, and I would watch it again for the rest of my life. Uh, and sometimes that's just what you want out of a movie. I didn't know a whole lot about High Life. I knew I knew Pattinson was a prisoner on a ship with a baby because of experiments. That yeah. was what I knew. Um, and uh, sure, that fairly well prepared me. Oh, and that Andre Benjamin was in it. I was pretty excited about that. I was that so that fairly well prepared me for this movie. But man, is it a ride? As as Arthur has pretty well already uh, elucidated. Um, I expected it to get weird. I did not expect it to get weird that early with the introduction of a, of a, a masturbation room, as Arthur so uh, so well churched it up. Oh boy, is that scene wild! Uh, and just the existence of that, right? Because that's that's the thing that does emotionally affect me about this movie. Arthur is just constant dread in a way that I don't expect from a movie that is this ultra lo-fi. Denise doesn't give a shit about gravity in space. There's gravity in this movie. She doesn't care. It's not important. It's not what the movie's about. The spaceship's a metaphor. Deal with it. And I just, I, there's something that I really appreciate. I think, you know, I, I've really gotten into the uh, the podcast Blank Check recently. Um, I don't know if uh, you guys are aware of it. I don't, if Listener, you might be. I'm going to inform these dudes. Um, film critic David Sims and um, Griffin Newman, who's an actor and a comedian, uh, they'll go through a director's filmography, directors who got blank checks. Your Burtons, your Wachowskis, your Nolans, and kind of look at what that does to a career arc. I like the opposite thing uh, with your Denise and your Aseases and your your Lynches who go, I'm never going to not do what I want to do. Uh, and just continue to have so much cultural cachet for so long that they know audiences will assume the movie's good. 
So then they just really go off the rails. And I love that because it allows filmmakers and their teams to just push the bounds of what a movie even is allowed to be. And I, 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 there's not very many movies in spaceships that are as weird as High Life, and I'm very, very thankful for that. Uh, it's it's uh, earthier than any space movie I, I, I've seen in a long time, and I, I really like that. As you mentioned, there's the, the, the scene with Denise. I mean, she's always, and she even says, you think I'm a witch, don't you? Like, she's very coded as earthy uh, and, and witchy in ways that are super cool. I'd also like that she considers herself, and uh, everybody kind of agrees with her. She's the only real criminal on the on the ship everybody else has just you know made dumb mistakes and you know ended up in bad situations and she was a rich lady who killed her kids and her husband like she's like you guys are are petty shit i had a life and threw it away you didn't have a life to throw away to begin with like in letting binoche be that evil but also be maybe the most outwardly emotionally complicated character such a choice uh, because Pattinson doesn't really give you a whole lot. But as you said, Arthur, that's his strength. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you look at something like Good Time, you, he, you know he can go big. He can get yeah. real weird with it. But I love how restrained he here uh, he is here. Monty is a man of few words, which makes sense. This is probably a guy who uh, has spent most of his life in prison. Why would he be a talker? So uh, anyway, now I'm just rambling. This movie's great. Uh, I'm very excited that we watched it. Excellent, excellent. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. I've been a big fan of Claire Denis since I took a contemporary French cinema class uh, for my PhD and uh, saw her film Trouble Every Day, which I've been talking about in Ad Nauseum, uh, which is her take on a vampire movie, but it's like sex-crazed vampirism. Um, is and, it all vampirism sex-crazed? Um, according to Stephen King, yes. So uh, um, That's fair. I think Anne Rice would agree with him as well. Yes, I think they're definitely in the same boat on that. So, uh, yeah, it is uh, something along those lines. And she is just a really, really well, um, you know, thought-out filmmaker. And uh, she is one who conceives of ideas and then elides them. She doesn't get preachy. You know, this movie's full of ideas. There's all kinds of stuff yeah. going on uh, with it about coming of age, about society itself, about human sexuality, even, uh, you know, interesting stuff about race. You know, we're all the way out here and still the black person dies first once one actor says which is hilarious and you know on the nose yeah. and, and andre benjamin delivers that line. he's so good in this movie yeah, he's very good and so you know the whole of the movie is full of these ideas but they never do feel like they're bashing you over the head it's never like this hard environmentalist message it's never like this hard anti-puritanical message it's never like this you know sort of uh, hard uh, stance on what we do with uh, procreation of the species etc um, and it could have been all of those things it could have been you know this is what it means to be a little girl and to grow up you know and what that what, what all entails those things um, but it doesn't do any of that really really specifically but it is full of layers and full of just those hints and nudges and subtle glimmers of glory um, sort of hiding behind the edges um, that make it really, really interesting to watch. Uh, the performances themselves, they're fantastic. We've already talked about our Pat being so great. Juliette Binoche is amazing and sexy in a way that's really uncomfortable. And uh, and just the way that she pulls off her entire performance is just fantastic. And so is the rest of the crew. Um, you know, uh, there's just and other actors whose names I didn't look up. Yeah, um, Mia Goth's the only other... other Mia Andre Benjamin uh, is the only actor in the crew that I'm familiar with from Suspiria. Yeah. You know, most most um, recently, I suppose you'd but say. We're just good faces. Just a just a ooh, just a cast of great faces. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so it's it's really really fascinating. And again, the isolation of space is very much captured, but also this great warmth that's going on here um, that is really interesting because you kind of almost expect 
uh, a Chris Nolan kind of coldness, well, a Stanley Kubrick kind space, of space, right? Yeah. And she says, "I don't have time for that." Yeah, and so it's 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 fascinating how she pulls that off. And a part of it's that arboretum that they have, that little garden area uh, where they're uh, raising their food and whatnot. But uh, yeah, visually, really, really fascinating. And I do like the idea of you know trying to find some way to find your way forward as a species without being real maudlin sentimental. It does the thing that uh, I think Interstellar kind of fails at. It's too optimistic. Uh, Interstellar seems to be to me, and uh, this this movie is uh, more ambiguous, and I think yeah. that's a, definitely a, a high point for yeah, it. It's it's weird that no one gets uh, this rap of being this kind of cold guy because his movies are kind of super humanistic. Like even the Prestige, which is super dark, is is all about how like should have spent more time with your family, dum dum. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's I mean that's kind of he he, he gets this. Uh, Kubrick thing thrown on him, but yeah, I think you're right. I think he's a real kind of soft, squishy optimist, at heart, yeah. which I like about him. But that's Benoche does not have time for that. She's yeah, Denis. Like, yeah, I said, what did I say? Benoche. I said Benoche. I'm just excited about this movie. Denis doesn't have time for it. No, she doesn't, and I am there for that. So I'm a big fan. Arthur's wrong, and uh, that's all I want to say. <laughs> I didn't say he was wrong. I see why why he feels the way he does. No, no, it's a podcast. We got to keep it spicy. You're wrong, mm, Arthur. All right. Now, okay. now, now we draw swords in Death at Dawn. Okay. The problem is Arthur doesn't care if you disagree with him. I do. No. <laughs> oh. I do. I don't give shit. Arthur doesn't give shit. He's all the dial You, you know, me. we shouldn't fight in front of the kids, Arthur. No, he's, he's an emotionally mature man who uh, knows his opinion's just an opinion. I'm an idiot. <laughs> I'll fight with you about my opinion. So uh, there you go, dear listener. Those are our biases. Let's move on and uh, figure out how we're going to expand the syllabus. I'm curious, curious, curious to hear what you guys have to say. And I guess before we get into that, um, the, the discussion was sort of brought up last week and been talked about a bit off mic as to whether or not this film itself would find its way into a film study syllabus, meeting sort of the the bill of uh, what this show is about. Um, tell me your thoughts about that sort of setting us up there, Dalton. Look, this podcast cannot live and die on '90s films alone, right? We gotta, we gotta stretch our legs every once in a while. So, to be perfectly honest, who gives a shit? We can do whatever we want. Correct. Uh, also, the word genres in the title of the uh, the podcast. Technically, it's just the genre cast. If you want to get real granular with it, it's not even a good trash. That's the, just the name of the podcast network. So, yeah, genre. I think we're still protected, and we can do whatever we want. But that said, Dustin and I, yeah, and all three of us kind of talked about this. This is only going to show up in a film studies course if you're getting a PhD in it. I think so. I think that is, if we are saying that film studies should not just be a thing that is a, a pyramid scheme to get more people to keep going to college, if it's something that actually helps broaden cultural like appreciation for, our, I think the last like uh, populist art. Hey, I'm not the last. That's who gives a shit. I think it should be a little bit more surface level, right? Uh, yeah. And things like High Life should not be guarded and said, well, you got to learn more about movies before you can watch that. No, you can jump into this. If you like weirdo stuff, you don't have to be a cinephile to appreciate something like High Life. I think you can just go, yeah, I'll, I'm in for a weird movie. I'm in for a weird record. I'm in for a weird book. If If you're an appreciator of things that don't care about narrative or formal convention... I think high life is super accessible, and I, I think that's that's why it, it deserves to be talked about outside of the loftiest uh, high branches of uh, of academia. Because again, this is a movie that people actually wrote about and saw, like um, it had fairly well re- uh, it was fairly well received among critics. Like I don't think this is going anywhere, but uh, it definitely will be. We were talking about this. Do you think uh, it's going to get talked about other than in a class about Denis? 
Well, I, I do. Uh, and so this is sort of the expanded caveat I would give um, here is that I think this movie can and would make its way into various syllabi depending on the individual instructor. That if you've seen this movie, you know there are places where it's handy. I mean, it would fit well into like an eco-cinema kind of class. It would fit well into a contemporary French film kind of class. It would fit well into a science fiction kind of class. It would fit well into uh, a great female director's um, kind of auteurship kind of class. And of course, I don't know that Denis is ever going to get a class all by herself. I mean, we could wait and see what her career ends up revealing. And I don't know that that's necessarily going to occur, but there are ways in which the individual issues wrestled with in this film. I mean, you could find this, I, honestly, you could find this film in a film of theology kind of class because it's got a hardcore Genesis kind of stuff and pair it up to a movie like Mother. Um, oh, there, yeah. there are ways in which that would really, really work. And that's not part of my expanded syllabus. Mine but, either, but g- good pairing. You know, it, it, it can do some of those kinds of things. And so I think individual instructors might pick it up here and there along the way. And it would be, it, it seems to me, that, and I've noticed this with instructors, is they do kind of like to change the movies when they teach a particular class. And so I think it will run through in and out. You know, like right now it might be pretty hot and people pick it up. And, and then a little while later, another instructor might remember, oh yeah, I saw this movie and it's really interesting. It's different. A lot of students may not have seen it. So I might use that. But as far as like canonical kind of status, which is I think what we were sort of hitting on just a moment ago, I don't know that this film's going to reach that. It's not going to be the great canonical film for Claire Denis. It's not going to be the great uh, you know sort of place for strange science fiction or sort of contemporary usages of surrealism, coming of age, R. Pattinson. I mean, well, I think Pattinson is the only place it's likely to come up other a, than Denis. A star study class, maybe. Um, but that just depends on his greater body of work as well. That's true. Somebody yeah. might decide they like uh, Good Times a lot more for this part of his career. With that, you only get to pick ten or twelve movies. Yeah. I mean, so it only lasts so long. So I don't, I don't know where it's going to sort of fit into that. Oh, well, Arpats, you're going to have to have pre-Batman and post-Batman. Right. I mean, God, this this career. Oh, this guy. I love him. Cedric Diggory. Um, but the other thing that is interesting... <laughs> I forgot about that one. <laughs> You've also got pre-Twilight and post-Twilight as well. Well, and I, th- I thought about that, but he, he did, how much work does he do before Twilight? I mean, he's got Cedric well, Diggory. I think that's about it. Yeah, he's not uh, a As far as I know, I mean, I didn't know him before Twilight. Same, <laughs> yeah. That's the thing. And this observation might be more fitting for analysis, but I think it does uh, speak to our particular conversation about it making its way into a film studies course, is when you start talking about sort of the high-end films, they're either the great big classics, the ones that are just that they changed and and, and altered, shapers. yeah so you're your citizen canes and you know those kind of movies uh kieslowski's three colors trilogy which stars juliette binoche uh in one of them uh those are sort of examples that you might look to for this kind of uh, selection that you might make in a, in a film studies sort of syllabus uh, or canon formation kind of thing but for the most part they're these huge game changers or they are these what i would say kind of really experimental like truly truly like innovative kind of new kind of filmmaking and so that's sort of the avant-garde of filmmaking if we put it on one end of the spectrum and then sort of popular filmmaking that we're very familiar with your matrixes your dark nights your movies that kind of transcend even though they're made for the masses absolutely and th- those movies will make their way and oh, do boy do they do make their ways into film studies you can't courses. talk you can't talk about the way uh the machine of movie making churns without talking about the matrix and the dark knight because i think over the last 20 years, those have kind of been the shapers of the transmedia shit that allows the MCU to exist. And so if you're thinking like in terms of rock and roll, you know, if we were to use it as a different kind of metaphor, so you got your, uh, you've got your, no, I was going to say Nick Cave, but 
Um, I don't know. That feels right. Well, uh, you're PJ Harvey's. You're PJ. Yeah, you're very, very sort of out there, experimental kind of uh, musicians. And then you've got you know Nickelback and even good bands. Um, <laughs> and, and also, and but also, I get what you're saying though, right? Like there's stuff that is so granular. If you're just doing a surface level reading, you're never going to get to. And this movie and movies of its ilk feel more like um, pro- prog rock. You know, they feel more like uh, the B sides of Rush or Yes. Or um, you know King Crimson and uh, some of that stuff in the sixties and seventies. You know Pink Floyd being more commercial, and then like King Crimson being a bit more experimental. That that's sort of where these movies lie. So they're a particular kind of taste that integrates, you know, and sort of begins to get within the spectrum of that popular to avant-garde, the real sort of harsh kind of stuff that you might find is, you know, intentionally kind of off-putting. It doesn't feel like this movie is intentionally off-putting, but it doesn't feel like it's very intentionally commercial either. And it does feel somewhere in like those long, lengthy, you know, very, very jammy versions of progressive rock. Well, I mean, it's it's in that A24 pocket, right? Yeah. It's not too commercial, not too off-putting. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I, I just thought, you know, that, that sort of helps frame where we're what we're dealing with as a movie. So now... We are going to put it on a syllabus. How do we expand that their syllabus? I go to you first. Arthur, what say you, sir? I want to go with restructuring the star. I, I like when you have a celebrity who uh, is, you know, they've got their type that they are. You know, they've, got, they've built this brand about the kind of movies they're going to be in and what to expect from them. And so, I mean, yeah, if you I, don't do it, Hollywood will do it for you, right? Oh, yeah. And sometimes you got to make that money, and then sometimes you uh, say, hey, I'm going to go pursue some artistic stuff. And sometimes it doesn't work out quite as well, and sometimes you really go down that rabbit hole. Yeah, don't uh, say yes to everything. We talked about Dark Knight a second ago. You don't want that Aaron Eckhart career. Yeah, uh, and I'm going to kick it Ooh. off uh, with a guy I loved growing up um, who had a very particular type of movie, uh, and his name is Adam Sandler. Until he came around and made uh, a little movie called Punch Drunk Love with Paul Thomas Anderson. Yes. Um, Because that is a movie, when I watched it, uh, having only seen stuff like Happy Gilmore and Billy Madison and The Waterboy, I did not like that movie because it is not... Yeah, you were a child and you wanted an Adam Sandler movie. I wanted some more dick and fart jokes. Uh, (laughs) I wanted some more stupid boy doing angry stuff. Uh, stuff. I was going to say, those elements are there because P.T. makes his rom-com... Uh, in his lens, he does and mess up the bathroom. But a, yeah, uh, you're right though. Incredible Arthur. piece. Yeah, it is still an Adam Sandler movie, and like kind of the broad strokes. Yeah, and so I, I just really think that's cool. You know, and then the Sandler's obviously the case where he's like, ah, "I'm just gonna go back to doing what I do best to make money." Um, but it, it still interests me, and that leads me to my my next guy, and that is the Gaz, uh, this Disney Club Mickey Mouse Club kid who comes up, does the Notebook, and then once he do, he goes off and he makes Drive. Changes uh, his career. Which he, is the proto A24 film before A24 was a thing. Yeah, and it's a weird eight years in there between, yeah. or six or seven, between Notebook and Drive, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a weird career for their, for a while. And then he goes off and he does, uh, instead of coming back to mainstream, he does Only God Forgives. And then he's like, hey, I'm going to go make my own surreal uh, weirdo movie, uh, Lost River. And so to kind of see place Beyond the Pines, too, which is really strange. It's commercial, but yeah, it's still kind of out there. Yeah, it's it's not the typical thing you'd expect. Uh, And then from there, obviously, you can't talk our Pat without talking Case Stew, Mm -hmm. um, who is another uh, actor who has uh, redefined their career and their legacy, um, coming off of all of the Twilight stuff and the stigma that that carried with her as an actress. And I think that's what's so interesting about her when you yeah. think about her and Pattinson. I think the thing that's interesting about her is she's already got like a pretty uh, broad career even before she gets Twilight. And yeah, you I mean, can see her. And, yeah. We can just see her in performances get like annoyed with where her career is yeah. gone. 
Uh, and then she goes off. She does Camp X-Ray, and she does some other stuff, Clouds of Sias Maria. But then she does Personal Shopper, which is the one I would recommend on my syllabus. I think it's just a fascinating uh, love story, ghost story, uh, identity story. I, I think it's just fascinating study. Uh, and then from there, I'd end with R. Pat, and I would go with Good Time. I, I, I The Safdie brothers uh, orchestrated a heck of a ride uh, mm. with good time mm. and our pad is just firing on all cylinders and so you know all this recent discussion with the batman and you know is our pad going to be a good batman like, you gotta go watch what he's doing you know you gotta go watch good time you gotta go watch the lost city of z because this guy is more than sparkly vampire and derp, you derp, derp. say this is the same buttholes that were like oh is the joker gonna be gay now it's the same guys as soon as they show a picture of him in guys, the costume they're gonna lose their mind they're asking the question is the joker gay <laughs> yes, the Joker's gay. The Joker's sexuality does the, not fit the, in a box that neat, baby. The, oh, that's true. But I'm just saying, I mean, as far as what those guys would be considering, yeah, they suck. his sexuality is definitely outside the norm. I mean, yeah, obviously. Those, those guys are boring. But that's... that's Don't break their facade, man. Oh, man. Arthur, you're absolutely right, though. Like, yep. it, it's all this hubaloo about, is he going to be good? And as soon as he show him in a mask, people are going to love it. Yeah, yeah he's going to be great. It's every actor, you know, we've got, we've got it with Downey, we got it with Ledger, and we're going to get it with Arpad, and, and, you know, time will tell, obviously. I mean, there's a lot writing on that movie besides his performance. Yeah, the script is going to be the uh, real yeah, killer Direction there. and the studio Good itself. luck, Matt Reeves. Yeah. <laughs> Don't uh, envy you, brother. But uh, yeah, I, I think for a syllabus, I, I just like studying kind of the other end of the the star spectrum. You know, we talk about stars and the body of work and what that means to be a, a movie star. And I think kind of breaking that down in a kind of a postmodern look at it is a, is a fun way to go. I like that very, very much. Thank you very much, Mr. Arthur Gordon. What do you say, Dalton? You're going to expand the syllabus and use this movie for a class. What are you going to do? I just like that Arthur, uh, instead of going just Arpat's career, like uses uh, what, what films are a linchpin in somebody's career. I like that. Um, I, I thought a lot about this. Uh, I very nearly just did a whole class about, uh, about movies that are about sex that aren't sexy. Uh, <laughs> but then I remembered that theoretically in this universe, that means I have to stand in front of a bunch of like 18 to 20 year olds and talk about sex. And that, man, I've, I've had a weird Not, and show Von Trier's uh, nymphomaniac. Yeah, I've had my own journey on like <laughs> how to talk Antichrist. about sex. Well, you know, I was, I was going to hit him with shame. Uh, uh, take this waltz. Yeah, I had, I had, a, I had a whole thing planned. You were going to hit them with shame. I was, oh, buddy, that's right out of the gate. We're doing, we're doing shame. Uh, well, That'll that set movie. a tone. <laughs> yeah, well, metaphorically and literally. <laughs> well, and take this waltz, which I just caught up with. You guys seen the Sarah Paul movie? Take this waltz. That's Rogan, right? Yeah, it's Rogan and um, uh, Michelle Williams is the yeah. lead. Um, it's so good. It's so good and so great about relationships. And it's like. Is there going to be sex in this movie? And then when there finally is, boy, is it the sexiest sex that ever happened, and it makes you pay for it. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so that that was the one thing I thought about. What I ended up going with is uh, parents just doing their best at the end of their ropes. Uh, because as we, we talked about the start A.K.A. Of, parenting. Parenting. This ship is a metaphor. It doesn't matter. It's not important. It's just about why did people bother to keep having kids, right? It's all about the existential question of, assuming that there will be an end to the human species. Claire Denis is not a uh, Nolan optimist. She does not think we're going to colonize space or a planet. She assumes maybe a few of us will make it off and uh, merge with the black hole and the rest of us are boned, um, which hard to argue with her these days. But again, I think because of that, that idea about the human species that she has, uh, apparently she tried to work with a translator on this, and it didn't work. The translator was too much of an optimist, uh, more or less her words. Uh, but I, I like the tone that that sets, right, for this. So I've tried to pick films that are equally about 
how do you parent when all hope is lost? When there is, you can't hold on to a lie of hope. You just know fundamentally all hope is lost. Uh, so we're going to start off with Road to Perdition, a movie that I like a whole lot. Uh, I'm not a huge Sam Mendes fan, but yep. I like that one. Um, Tom Hanks uh, is America's dad, and when America's dad basically just does Lone Wolf and Cub in uh, Prohibition Chicago, I think is where the movie's set, it's a great look. Uh, it's a beautiful film. I think it's Roger Deakins' joint uh, on the on the photography. Pretty sure. Uh, not important, though, because what it's really about is Tom Hanks trying to raise his damn baby. Uh, and uh, look, it's me. you got to get a movie with some shooting in this class. But uh, it's, <laughs> it's a movie that sells itself as a real like moody action movie. And it's just not. It's a road movie about a, a man who knows he's probably going to get murdered. And how does he get his kid out of this situation? Because his kid's stuck with him. Uh, speaking of being stuck with your kid, let's watch The Road. Who boy. Man, you were... Yeah, this movie, this class is not going to be fun. No. No, not at all. It's these man. parents at the end of their ropes, man. Uh, and, and that's what I tried to think about. I tried to think about other movies where parents have no reason to think this is going to work out. And uh, I, The Road, if you haven't seen it, listener, is... Uh, whew, what a good one. Uh, what a good one. It might be one of the best apocalypse movies because it is so bleak. Uh, but it's a John Hillcoat movie. It's got Trevigo's. Uh, it's got your uh, Cody Smith McPhee's back when he was cute and mm. tiny. Uh, it's it's just great. Uh, I can't more strongly recommend it. It's the best John Hillcoat movie by a wide margin. Uh, and it doesn't you know hurt that it was adapted from a Cormac McCarthy book, which is always a hard proposition when you're making a movie. And I think The Road does a great job of just being well-balanced and hitting its themes. Finally, we're going to go to the world of documentary. i got to cheer people up a little bit. We're going to watch Dolores. Uh, a documentary that uh, I got to see at uh, Dead Center a couple years back. I don't even remember it. I think it got a wide release. Uh, I think it did. About the uh, the uh, labor and civil rights activist Dolores Huerta. Uh, good movie. Real good movie. Uh, about a mother at the end of a rope. Got a lot of kids doing a lot of labor organizing. Not a lot of time to raise them. And uh, I, I think closing it out with that message of, uh, of hope. Uh, I'm, we're not gonna, I'm not going to teach about Dolores Huerta today. I'm not the person to do it. Just go watch the movie. But... Uh, a really incredible life story that I think is kind of a hopeful capper to this because uh, if I make you watch a bunch of movies about uh, how hard it is to be a white single dad with one kid, I got to close out showing you what it's like to be a brown single mom with a bunch of kids uh, who's also trying to change the world, not just trying to, you know, not get murdered. Uh, so there you go. That's the syllabus. Dustin, teach us about France. Okay, I am. I'm, gonna... I'm not particularly cultured. I'm just a simple Okie boy. I don't know that I'm cultured, <laughs> but um, I think I would do a. Learn me something about them, uh, them baguettes. Um, um, <laughs> a module on baguettes. Um, and <laughs> a module on. Uh, Sign me up, please. Not the same as Cuban bread. Contemporary female filmmakers um, from France, um, okay. which is hard to say three times fast because of all the F's. In that particular statement. Uh, so, um, and first I begin with Tim Palmer's, um, book, Brutal Intimacy, which is a great title for a book about contemporary French film. And there's a chapter in there about feminine cinema, uh, which is really interesting. And of course it talks about some of the industrial situations. Uh, France is the one of the few places in the world where there is actual parity, uh, between, um, female and male directors. It exists. It can be done. There is a market that can bear that Those on the planet. take their movie seriously, man. They do. And they, and they, they put out the effort to make sure that women get their voices heard, which is... Do they have a lottery? They do have a lottery. Yeah. Um, They're the only ones that don't, man. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, so that's, you know, a thing that's really troublesome, um, here about the states. But so I, I think we would definitely look at Claire Denis, um, and, uh, her film, High Life, is going to be the assigned film. I mean, you could use Trouble Every Day, which is a movie of hers I really, really like, but there's a, a number of other films that 35 would be, Shots of Romano is one of the big ones. Yeah. There's, there's lots of good stuff out there. So I'm not going to be real particular. We'll just go ahead and stick with High Life for that. But I think we'd also look at Miriam Hansen Love, um, and, uh, her film, um, Goodbye First Love, which is another coming of age, sort of elliptically told story in which a a woman and a man uh, who are children at one point and they fall in love and then they sort of fall out of each other's lives and they fall back in and out of each other's lives over a period of many, many years, again, told out of order and elliptically. It's interesting. Um, Hanson um, Love also has a great film called Eden, which I wouldn't use particularly for this uh, class about the... Uh, Oh, I guess a side DJ band is around the same time that Daft Punk is coming around uh, there in this sort of uh, Belgian and French uh, house. Yeah, music you can see why you want to bring it up. It's just a fun movie. Yeah, it's, it sounds it's, cool. And it's really, really good. Um, and I think her husband uh, was one of the people involved in that scene, was one of the DJs. And so there's a personal connection there for her. Um, but I'd also, so I'd show, I'd show Goodbye First Love by, by, uh, Hanson Love. And then I would also show Catherine Briol's The Sleeping Beauty, which is a movie I've talked about on the show before. Yeah, I've yeah. heard of this one. It's, um, and, and you know, there's other options that you could use from Catherine Briol. I mean, her Fat Girl movie's really good, um, about coming of age kind of things, or her Bluebeard movie, which also sort of, uh, types into some of those, uh, fairy tale tropes. Damn, I know about all three of these so far. I yeah. feel real smart. <laughs> well, it's cause you hang around him all the time. Well, no, I, I knew about Fat Girl and Bluebeard. You're not because of him. Uh, no, 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 because I mean, you're very you intelligent. You are the educated one. You're, you're, no, you're, look, if, if it weren't for you, we would never mention anything that wasn't in the English language. Thank God you're, you're here. But Briel's The Sleeping Beauty is um, dealing... It, it's, it, so if Goodbye First Love is uh, looking at the entire growing up and growing old of uh, your Willow character, you know, if you sort of, you know, Ooh. else-minded it that way. Of cool. course, it's all, you know, modern set. There's no science fiction or anything like that. Um, the Sleeping Beauty would be just her coming of age, really focusing on it rather than just having this sort of elliptical moment where you realize that she's gotten older and uh, she now has breasts and is going to have her period and uh, those kind of things and then just sort of moving forward in ways that are uh, a bit more ambiguous. This is um, much more metaphorically tackling particularly that thing in which a young woman flowers to adulthood, you know, through puberty and adolescence um, and uses that whole Sleeping Beauty story as a metaphor for that and the sexual awakening of a young woman. Um, and Catherine Briola is just a great director and uh, I mean, I mean, really, there are several that you would use. I mean, I told Dalton off mic, you know, the holy trinity of uh, French female directors right now seems to be um, Brio and Denis, and then maybe not so much uh, Miriam Hanson Love, but maybe Pascal Ferrand, but I don't like her as much as I do Miriam Hanson Love, so I want to use what I want to use. And so that's where I'm going uh, with that particular selection. You too can be this well-read uh, listener if you get yourself a subscription to uh, Du Cinema. Uh, you wanna you wanna be a smarty pants? They don't translate it into English that I know of. Oh wait, really? You have to get real smart real quick, then. Yeah, yeah you better learn French, listener. Uh, thank you. That's uh, that's good. Uh, so, There's a longer syllabus now. You got to learn about France. You got to learn about being sad. You got to learn about how careers work when you're an actor and how parenting is terrifying. So I think we're gonna talk more about that, right? <laughs> Without any further ado, let's get down to business. Yes, business. 
Justin, you're a dad. How bad does it suck? Oh, it's terrifying. It's the worst. <laughs> I love getting to throw to you for these episodes oh about uh, movies about kids. It's really, really upsetting. Now, I got to say, again, the interactions, and we already talked about a little bit with our Pat and that little baby girl. Mm. You know, That and, little baby girl's real first steps. Oh, man, I tell you Aww. what. I know, and, right? And I've got a real-life, real baby girl who's just now taking her first steps unaided and doing that kind of stuff. So there was a real sort of emotional kind of resonance going on in my life as my Yikes. niece is doing that kind of stuff, who is soon to be my daughter as the adoption is going on. A little personal life there for you, dear listener. Ooh, inside baseball. I, I'm adopting a kid. Um, cause, you know, that's what we do. You wanted to do that. Uh, I gotta stop picking up strays. <laughs> Anyway, um, we, gotta get, we gotta get back on topic. Um, but yeah, so there's a real emotional resonance with that. But it is terrifying to raise a child in any sort of situation, and uh-huh. the situation of space itself is really, really terrifying. And um, I think what what Pattinson sort of does in his performance as Monty is it shows us that all parents have no bloody idea what they're doing. We have no idea what we're doing, and uh, it's it's hard. And there's a there's a really really crucial scene after he disposes of all those bodies you know in what seems to be a gravitationally um strange space is a metaphor yeah so yeah the physics don't work but i don't care um but he's had a really tough day where he's finally disposed of all the bodies and turned off the cryo units for preserving he doesn't get to see the sick ass opening credits that we are the opening titles that we get to see (laughs) those he's just stuck on that spaceship and he's you know having an awful day and the diegetic and the baby is having a fit right Uh And, and he's like you've got to stop or it will kill me yeah. And that is that is a true feeling with infants and newborns. When he sells it, right? You see, yeah. you believe it. He's like, I can't believe I've made it this far with you, kid. Yeah. This is going to be it. Like, I just had to get rid of the only people in the universe I know. And, and don't let the extremity of the situation sort of cheapen it. That's what that's what's what's really yeah. brilliant about this movie is that. Any parent watching this movie says, you know what? You don't have to, you know, throw the last eight human beings you've ever seen into outer space to feel that kind of desperation. Uh, when there's a child crying that's just unconsolable. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't take that much sort of personal stress and tragedy in your own life to just be at a place where you're at your wit's end with a baby. And, uh, that moment is, it's got a real sort of, um, you know, uh, gut punch to it for me. So yeah, I, I, I dug that uh, a lot as I was watching it. I mean, it's a movie all about babies, right? Mm-hmm. But it's all, it's a movie all about sex too. It's all about a lot of things. Uh, it's really not even that much about sex. It's only tangentially about it. Uh, I think it's really more about human impulses and, uh, uh, than the actual act, right? It is kind of rare that a movie is so sexy, though, uh, or so sort of erotically oriented. Yeah, um, that is also talking about it as procreation, because ordinarily it's about copulation or procreation. Yeah. It's about pumping, if you want to get technical. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, quite there it is. I was wondering if we were going to talk about pumping on this episode. Uh, there's, a, there's like literal pumping that happens in this movie. Uh, uh, yeah, I saw how that machine worked. <laughs> well, I'm just thinking about Did what happens to Pattinson. Well, yeah, that's the thing, right? Because as you've been beating around, it's not. It's about sex, and yeah. Not, yeah. And it's not about eroticism or it's erotic, sure. But like, there are two rapes in this movie, and they are both extremely upsetting. They yeah. are, uh, it, and you know, Denis just like makes it very clear that this is the only like this is we, we've talked enough about assault on this show listener that i i feel like we got to shout out when it's done right because we usually are just rolling our eyes at it denise is just very objective and matter of fact with the camera and if you're gonna be an idiot and shoot a scene uh if you're gonna try to make a movie you know not to be an idiot like so there are plenty of smart people who can and should tell stories about assault on film 
but like that's that's how you do it. Mm-hmm. It is there's no like heroism to the camera. It is just here we are documenting. Yeah, yep, here yeah. we are, uh, and they're ooh ooh. Uh, one is particularly violent. Uh, it's the features me a goth and this dude with a weird face. Good faces in this movie, mm-hmm. uh, and that's that whole scene. We'll get to in a second because there's violence there that we need to talk about. Uh, but yeah, the Arpat Benoche rape is so it's upsetting you never hey, look you just don't be give 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 ladies money to make movies man because mm-hmm. guy a guy can't make that a guy like might uh, a guy might make that that's scene. a mistake if he does well if he does i think that that's take somebody that's a very smart well-adjusted person right yeah because that scene could be sexy and like it is a little bit but it's mostly upsetting mm-hmm. it's mostly like profoundly upsetting because the film has done such a good job of establishing that like part of his maintaining his sanity uh is being a monk is being the only celibate member of the crew like that's his thing uh some people are uh, the sex machine monsters uh some people spend time in the garden he doesn't nut that's his deal and uh yeah it's like to lay that groundwork about how important this is to him uh, it doesn't matter that the scene's sexy. And what's again, what I was sort of beginning to go at uh, a little while earlier mm. is that movies don't really tend to mix those flavors. You can talk about abstinence and you know sort of excess. You can talk about you know rape and consent. You can talk about reproduction. You can talk about again sort of eroticism. But to sort of mix all those things into one stew is really, really sort of special. Yeah. And uh, this movie's choice to do that is just, I mean, again, sort of awe-inspiring. It's extremely bold, for sure. Um, because, again, I mean, one of the first spoken lines of dialogue is uh, Robert Pattinson trying to teach Baby Willow about uh, taboos. Mm-hmm. Don't drink your own pee, don't eat your own poop. It's also, don't assault people. Also, our relationship's going to be weird uh, when you're older and we're the only two people for a million miles. Yeah. It's going to be an awkward uh, grow, grow, growing situation for us. Yeah. Like, and that's, but it requires the film has to be about sex and all of its, like, uh, terrors and splendors for for it to work, right? Mm-hmm. For it to not be gro- too gross, for it to not be too weird, for it to not go off the rails. I'm, I'm with you, man. I think it's super special the way it, it deals with, with yeah. sex and sexuality. Yeah, it managed to be equally parts hot and gross at the same time, which is a real sort of achievement. Um, the other thing I was thinking about quite a bit with this movie, uh, and some of this stuff has been sort of talked about, but not really explicitly laid out in some of the articles that I read about. There's a lot of these sort of biblical imagery uh, bits and pieces that are at work there. And, uh, you know, I mean, you could say, well, the garden's kind of like Eden, right? And you have sort of this Edenic kind of thing. But um, I think what people are honing in on, and tell me if this read makes any sense to you guys, is that it is, you know, God causes Adam to fall into a deep sleep and then takes, you know, from the rib, you gotcha. know, and creates the woman. And when, when Juliette Binoche rapes him and takes his seed and then uh, makes the daughter, right, yeah. uh, from them. And then, of course, everybody's gone, and uh, there's a great fall and tragedy that goes on. And whatever the future looks like, and I think this is sort of one of the implications, is it may indeed involve some significant amounts of incest uh, in that relationship, because, you know, that's sort of one of the literalist problems if you read Genesis in that particular kind of way. And so that's that's where the Adam and the Garden thing, I think, comes about uh, there in the story. I just wanted to throw that out there, um, because, again, they say biblical imagery, biblical imagery, but they really didn't say what it was and so to be more explicit about it i guess i read i think it was the interview i sent with you the playlist um in there they reference you know her uh, benosha's role and 
as a kind of mother earth or god, god. and then uh Denis confirms like yeah she's god you know in, in this situation so i guess the image is there i didn't really read it that way though when i was watching it uh, i could see it um and i think some of that beginning life stuff is there mm-hmm. but I, I, I never really considered that option when i was watching well it's sort of you know again making the partner while in a deep sleep sort of without adam's consent yeah. is a is an interesting way to you know read against the grain the genesis accounts yeah. Well, yeah, I think that's a that's a fun space to play with. But I'm with Arthur. Uh, I, I, yeah, for sure. There's definitely um, deliberate like uh, Eden Oasis vibes to the garden, right? That mm-hmm. exists uh, in this world surrounded by harshness and uh, absolute and utter death. Um, so yeah, yeah, I, I see that. I, I, I like the read though as a Benoche is this god character, right? Because that's her whole deal is like asserting power and control over everyone as all great mad scientists you know she mm-hmm. she's playing god and trying to create life and yeah there are shades there of frankenstein, frankenstein. Yeah. yeah well i mean that's her whole goal right is to yeah, uh to I, and that's I, I love that we don't get a lot to know we get enough to know about her that it makes perfect sense that she is fascinated with uh trying to conceive a child in space we don't know anything about the motivation behind her crimes we just know the content of her crimes. Uh, and I, I think letting us in on that and just kind of letting that be all we know about her. And that's cause that's all the crew knows about her. She murdered yep. her, her husband and her kids. Mm-hmm. That's all anybody knows about her that. And she's obsessed with everybody's nothing. Uh, habits. Everybody's got a vice. <laughs> Everybody does. Yeah. Mine. Some people's is a chair. <laughs> uh, Hey, you know, no King shaving on this show. Just don't make people <laughs> nut against their will. That's, that's weird. Not okay. Don't, yeah, don't. Well, and that's the thing, right? As we, we come back around to power and control, the people she's most obsessed with uh, trying her experiment on are the people who, A, Robert Pattinson, don't want to do it, and B, Mia Goth, the person who's convinced that, like, all right, fine, I'll play along, but I will, like, constantly try to subterfuge you at every turn. I will not have a baby on this spaceship. Uh, and that's where she finally gets her baby, mm-hmm. right, is uh, when she's finally able to exert control over the two forces that elude her, she gets what she wants, which is, oof, icky. Yeah. Gross, gross, gross. But interesting and fascinating. Uh, real cool in terms of talking about themes. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's circle back to the uh, the other rape scene uh, because I think mm, yes, blood is such a... I mean, body fluids are huge in this film. Yes. Uh, we've, we are, we've talked They're about everywhere. the semen, but there's, there's uh, breast milk, there's blood, but this is the big blood scene, and there's... Uh, violence kind of rears its head throughout this film, but this is like the most violent sequence, uh, and not just sexually, like... Uh, Physically. Several people get their noses broken because punches are getting thrown. Gotta get stabbed in the eye. Yeah, like it goes yeah, He on. needed stabbing. Oh, he needed stabbing. Good. But, I mean, it just, it's so clinical and brutal in its yeah. violence because it really, this whole movie has been toying around with, no, just because we're in space doesn't mean we're special. We're still the same dumb idiots we were back on the rock. Uh, especially if you take away all the rules, it's just going to go off the rails again. It doesn't matter how much... Uh, uh, sedative you pump into the water, people are going to lose their minds. Yeah, it doesn't matter if you're in space, doesn't matter if you're in a shopping mall, you put uh, six to ten people together, uh, tensions are going to flare. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's human nature. Well, I think there's that forbidden fruit aspect, too, to go back to Genesis stuff. Is because it, she, they have been the explicitly forbade from doing it. All they can do is the chair, that's it. Uh, and yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. The, that does kind of circle us back into that Genesis reading a little bit. Well, I thought about, uh, I felt smart when I was watching this movie because I thought of the word sublimation all on my own. Oh, yeah. And then I was like, hey, I think that's an actual thing. And I was like, yes, Freud, hey. Yeah, civilization and his discontents. Yes, and so I thought about uh, that whole idea of uh, 
repression and uh, sublimation and how that, uh, you know, uh, withholding those uh, human urges uh, can lead to better society. But this kind of throws a wrench in that in that machine here because uh, it just raises the tensions. Yeah, for everybody involved. Yeah, don't sublimate. Freud's a ding dong. Yeah, yeah, don't don't suppress it. You got to find a way to talk about it. Well, I mean, I think Freud's right and he's wrong. You know, is what I was. I think it's, I, it's both hands. If, if all we do is pursue our desires, you know, all we're going to do well, is be yeah, banging it, in the bushes and we're not going to make you know, roads. I would argue that do we need roads? Who knows. Uh, look, where, look where they got us. Exactly. <laughs> where we're going, do you think we need roads? Okay, sir? okay. We don't have literature either. All right, all right, all right. Literature's good. Do we need literature? I would argue we probably need that one. Yes, we do. Yeah, we probably need that one. Okay, fair enough. But uh, I think Arthur brings up a good point, right? Like, when there is this this rigorous uh, prohibition on anything, people are going to get a little stir-crazy, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that, you know, that's why this scene happens in the movie. I mean, you've got a bunch of violent criminals uh, out in space where no one can hear you scream. Yes. Uh, well, and again, I think I like that about the film. It's all, it's all screaming. Like, there's so much screaming in this movie. Um, a shocking amount, uh, be it babies and adults. Well, let's talk about the fact that we're dealing with prisoners in space and yeah. the sort of sociological morality about that. Um, I like how the film doesn't really wrestle with the morality. It just sort of assumes it's what's going to happen. Well, it assumes it's going to happen, and it also assumes that it's wrong. Mm-hmm. Because the only cutback we get to Earth is this doctor being like, this is bullshit. Like, we just sent them up there to die. Mm-hmm. We, yeah. This is an excuse. We didn't actually send them up there to do science. Like, uh, the implication is the apocalypse will have happened by the time their tapes get back. And, like, the calamity that mankind can't bounce back from is all that's going to be left when their hyperspace transmissions reach Earth or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. And and, and just sort of the assumption that prison populations are just there to be exploited. I mean, that's... And, again, just underlying the sort of idea of the um, dehumanization that um, the uh, prison industrial complex creates. And, again, one of the things about this movie is it's not preachy about it. No, it just says, this is the way it is, man. Yeah, it just sort of names that and then moves on, which, again, I find to be pretty fascinating. When there's no more room in prisons, the criminals will be sent to space. I mean, he's not wrong. Lockout starring Guy Pearce. Yeah, I've seen that movie. It's pretty good. I mean, well, it's the reverse. That's kind of a more likely scenario at this point. We get get locked on Earth. Uh, I'm I'm a big fan of just the, the, the choice to say there is no hope. Uh, because it, it's important, I think, to the film that the audience knows that up front because the prisoners already assume that, right? They've, you know, they've been institutionalized to the point that they know this this world is like stopped giving a shit about them a long time ago. Um, but you need to be in that same headspace that they're in. And I, I think, uh, obviously, like, as uh, audience goers, we want our protagonists to live. We have empathy for, uh, for our protagonists. And it's super important that we just know up front that's not going to happen. That's not an option. They are stuck out here. Because if that is not established, the movie doesn't work. It just doesn't. Mm-hmm. You have to know there is no hope of return. Uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of the usage of uh, uh, time here. It's just kind of vaguely alluded to, but uh, they just touch on the fact like, oh, yeah, they're, they're flying at uh, hyperspace speed the entire time. Like 99.9% of the speed of light is, I think, what they say. And so it kind of gets into the age stretching that happens when you're out in space. Yeah. I'm, I'm a big fan of that because I think it allows them to do some, number one, they don't have to worry about putting our pats and makeup. They just make his hair a little grayer. Yeah. Um, but I, I think the, the choice to like unmoor you, the audience, as much as the crew's unmoored from time is a big part of what 
like sells the the idea that everyone is slowly going mad up here. Uh, because I, I think we haven't really touched on that. That's kind of a huge component of that second, uh, that middle chunk that Arthur's not so hot on. Uh, that time we spend with the prisoners is time is means nothing. Yeah. I mean, we're talking decades, probably, maybe maybe I, centuries. I did the math. Yeah, they say how many days it's been. Yeah, cause, and I can't remember. I, I did the math, and it was like hundreds of years. Yeah, I yeah, think I mean, it was like 18 real year, like local time. They'd been in space for 18 years because of relativity, but back on Earth, he has like 200 some odd years. Yeah, is that right? something like that. Yikes. Yeah. But again, yeah. it's super important to the movie for for that, for it to be an endless hell. I think there's some hope back, though, at the end. Well, yeah, for sure. Because they finally get to take back control of their lives. I mean, they may still be aimlessly wandering space, but at least it's on their terms now. Right. Well, I mean, that's that'll be a good place to take us home, right? Because then we circle back to, we haven't talked about the uh, the Oedipal stuff. Uh, we haven't closed that loop, or I guess the uh, electric, I don't know what you call it. It gets a little weird and uh, incesty when we check back in on Willow and Arpats when Willow's grown, mm. uh, well, a teen. Um, and I think the film like is very good in that it addresses it and then kind of is like, that's not really what the sequence of the film is about. It's just acknowledging that that's going to be a part of the relationship. That's going to be weird. Mm -hmm. She's the, he's the only other human being she's ever seen. And like human beings like physical comfort. And when she gets older, that's going to be awkward for everybody involved. Mm -hmm. And the film just kind of says, all right, she still wants to sleep in his bunk. He's like, not a chance, bud. Yeah. And I, I like that they, they just leave it there, but to let the rest of the film be about her being like, you you were cruel. Space has made you cruel, and him being like, you have no fucking idea, kid. Mm -hmm. I had to murder everybody on this ship for you. You have no, well, everybody on this ship got murdered because of you. You have no idea how, how cruel the world is. Right. Uh, and I like that because it's important for them. Arthur's right. I think the end of this movie is super hopeful, but we got to go to another circle of hell, which is the abandoned uh, dog ship first. And oy. Yuck. Yeah, that's a sequence, man. It's weird. Yeah. Well, and it draws, it gets to draw that through line, right? That to that, like the isolation, the dehumanization of just imprisonment, as Dustin's already mentioned, this is the same thing that happens to the dogs, man. They had to eat yeah. each other to survive. Mm -hmm. That's what happens. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and it, the dog eat dog is what's you know sort of the metaphor for everything else, right? I mean, the literalization of the metaphor. Yeah, it's a super cleanly constructed movie with that. But I think Arthur's right when they fly into that black hole at the end. Like it does kind of say. I don't know, like, we, we, you know, you don't raise the kid because you know it's going to work out. You just mm -hmm. got to give it a shot because maybe something better will come along. Yeah. Yep. I'm a big fan. Yeah, same. We ready? Uh, the big thoughts? Let's run a verdict, I guess. Um, shelf or trash? What do you say, um, Arthur? I, uh, trash. <laughs> That's fair. That's yeah. fair. I, uh, I just don't think it's an essential watch. And uh, I, I, to Dalton's point, though, I am very interested in seeing some of Denise's other work, especially the... Uh, vampire thing uh mm -hmm. really trouble every day is so good yeah interest peaked and i was gonna try to watch it before this because i believe it is on prime or hulu and i didn't have a time but the one with benoche she did right before high life was really that's good on too. hulu that's yeah. the romantic comedy one she's of. got a, uh i think she's got th two or three films that are pretty much just straight up romantic comedies oh yeah okay i know the one you're the most recent like 2017 yeah. or something yeah correct cool cool well what do you say then dalton i'm gonna shelf it man uh i think it's 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 firmly in my wheelhouse. I like space movies. I like movies about uh, existential crises. Uh, I like movies about hope and, uh, and it, finding hope while surrounded by utter bleakness. This movie is so deeply in my wheelhouse. Yeah, I like it. Um, and again, I, it was it's I think a great introduction to to Denis. Mm -hmm. uh, I think sometimes it's nice to go 
start getting into a filmmaker uh, real deep in their career and then circle back. Um, I, I think that can be a really effective way to get familiar uh, with a, a filmmaker's sensibilities um, because you can kind of start looking for where their career is going to go. Uh, that is, if you, know, if you accept the premise that all films are about their filmmakers, starting late in a career can be a cool place to go. So, yeah, it's going on the shelf for me. All right, very good, very good. Um, I'm also going to put it on the shelf, and I think it's, it's a great sort of sci-fi opera, the, 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 the kind that I really, really like, the kind that's like your Andre Tarkovsky Solaris or um, recently um, Natalie Portman in Annihilation or um, even like uh, oh, Denny Boyle's Sunshine. Um, it's just it's, it's that kind of fascinating kind of science fiction kind of film, and uh, I'm all about it. So um, I like it a lot, and I recommend it pretty highly. So um, definitely saying shelf. Danny Boyle wishes Sunshine was as good as this movie. Well, it's not as good. No. But, I but like, it's in the same wheelhouse. I like that movie a lot. All right. Well, we got movies on the shelf. Uh, if you have thoughts about uh, High Life or anything, we've been having uh, fun with these uh, couple of potpourri episodes. We've been doing a lot of marathons this year. Nice to get some uh, some oddities in there. But if you've got thoughts about what we're doing, send us an email. GoodTrashGenreCast at gmail.com. Uh, you can check out everything we do, uh, everything we do or have ever done on GoodTrashMedia.com. You could teach an AI how to pretend to be us with all of that content. Please don't, but you could. Uh, subscribe to the show. You've listened to a podcast before. You know how that works. Uh, don't get on social media. Don't do it. Uh, if you're already on there, we're at Good underscore Trash on Twitter, and that's really the only one we keep up to date on. That's that's how you do the thing. Uh, oh, Patreon.com forward slash GTM if you think this is worth giving money to. That's it. That's how social media works. I'm good at it now. It only took me like the better part of a decade to get good at this part of the show. Nice. Okay, we're done, and I'm done. So uh, okay. deuces. All right. Let's call it. <laughs> do we want to do another one? I, I guess. All right. Uh, okay. What are you going to make him watch? Uh, what are we making him watch? Well, Arthur? you know what? It's summer. Yeah, it is. End of summer. Summer's wrapping up. Yep. But summer always makes me want to go to the river. Okay. Take a float trip with my best friends down oh the river. Gosh, are you kidding me? So I think next week. <laughs> wait, do you hear? Did you hear banjos? No. Next no. week, I think we're gonna watch Deliverance. Oh, oh my god! Gosh. I thought you were gonna make me watch without a paddle. Honestly, so I'm I'm fine with Deliverance. Well, I was worried it was either that or the River Wild starring Meryl Streep, and I'm like, oh, that's a mess. Yeah, I can handle Deliverance now. Deliverance Boy, would be great. If you thought we were talking uh, done talking about the R word. Oh, so nope. it's coming up. Ding, 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 ding. You keep talking. We'll keep watching or the other way around. And we'll see you all next time. I'm not sure.